Paso a Paso Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Paso a Paso Podcast based here in Taos, New Mexico. My name is Miles. Happy to be back with you with another interview uh, related to the world of early childhood supporting families throughout New Mexico, um, but with a lens on northern New Mexico in the Taos County area. Um, in our last episode, we had uh, Kate Noble as a guest and she is back today with us again because sometimes 15 minutes is just not enough. Um, thanks so much for joining us again, Kate, and I'm um, really excited to speak more in depth about some topics we might not have covered last time. Yeah, happy to be here and keep talking. Great. Um, once again, for our new listeners, could you briefly um, share uh, who you're with and kind of some perspective on on the work you do? Absolutely. Um, my name's Kate Noble. I'm the Vice President for Stakeholder uh, for Policy and Stakeholder Engagement with something called the New Mexico Early Childhood Development Partnership. We are currently under the umbrella of the United Way of Santa Fe County. Um, the whole organization really is focused on early childhood. And the New Mexico Early Childhood Development Partnership is the policy arm. So we work statewide um, and do a lot of work to connect, provide information for, um, and really listen to the needs in communities and, and then advocate at the state level. We're based in Santa Fe, which is, of course, the state capital. Um, and we work particularly now with both the executive branch and the legislative branch to make sure that we're getting um, continually improving early childhood policies and practices in our state. And um, it's really a passion for a lot of us that we work to make this critical part of us, our society stronger um, in an ongoing way. So we uh, we just keep going and looking for new opportunities. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I did forget to mention that we appreciate our um, collaboration on this podcast with KNC 93.5 and Taos, uh, as well as the Keeler Foundation who helped fund our outreach work. Um, and in the last episode, um, and please go back to that episode if you haven't heard it yet, listeners out there, uh, we spoke a lot about all of the work, or at least some of the work that has been done to establish the new um, early childhood education and care department for New Mexico, and all the outreach work you've been doing throughout the state to engage um, the corners of our community in conversation regarding needs and next steps on areas of focus. It sounds as though um, some of those areas uh, include uh, home care as an as a focus. Um, can you share some of what that might look like as far as um, translating really the experience of um, what you're looking at um, and how it connects with those in our Taos County area who may be simply uh, watching their own children or watching the children of friends um, and family, um, whether they're a registered or certified home care or not? Yes. Well, there's a lot going on. It's a pretty exciting time, actually, to um, engage in, in some of the conversations about home-based home care. From the national level, and, and there's a lot of conversations going on nationally about 
home-based care and support networks and how they should work and what are best practices for uh, quality and better support. And that's in large part because in the face of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, a lot of childcare centers have, have had a really tough time. And this is a highly regulated industry, as anybody who is in it knows. And it's very low profit margin. You know, it's just not a particular, it's not a profitable area. Nobody goes into early childhood to make millions. It's way more of something that people engage in because they're passionate about it. But so much has been thrown into um, uncertainty under this pandemic and uh, group sizes that are larger are um, explicitly not allowed. Um, schools have closed. There are all of these different factors that lead to the ultimate conclusion that home-based care is, in essence, uh, what people are doing. And whether it's their relatives, whether it's a parent or parental figure staying home, whether it's an older sibling, um, the fact is home-based care is what's happening and what is likely to happen for a little while as we um, move through the COVID-19 pandemic and, and figure out how to recover and wait for a vaccine and all those things. So what's exciting is that nationally, everybody is talking about how do you support home-based providers. And New Mexico has actually been held up as a leader in this, in part because um, our early childhood department has basically made uh, some adjustments, including to say that family, friends, and neighbor care, which is what they call it, FFN providers, um, may be eligible to receive child care assistance and that they're lowering the bar. They're making it easier to apply to get the child care subsidy as an FFN providers and to get licensed as a temporary FFN provider. Our, our early childhood department has also worked to expand uh, child care access for families um, in including eligibility, um, and to do some wage supplements for people who are working in early childhood. And I think that's been more um, taken advantage of by centers. But we've done a bunch of things to sort of support these different arenas and make sure that child care is still working because it's become clear how critically it is uh, connected to economic growth and to adults' ability to work. Um, so, you know, as, as we look at home-based care, this is probably how child care rebuilds and recovers, and it's getting a lot of focus. Um, and sort of looking at exactly what you all did in Taos, which is what do folks need um, to better care for children in their home and how can uh, resources be plugged in and accessed by different family caregivers? Um, and it's a really important conversation and it's hard because it has to happen on some level um, in communities and with the individuals who are caring for kids in their homes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, as I think about the bigger picture, and I know that again, it's we're short on time here, but um, it being a field, you know, just the the world of childcare. I've, I've read some things recently, um, just you know, suggesting that it has been a world that has kind of been assumed to be always stable in there because maybe it's 
um, you know, the work of those parents who stay home, AKA traditionally women, and uh, just all these sorts of perceptions that um, just cause uh, there are adults around and there are kids around that things are going great. Um, and so it's really exciting for me as a parent as and as a community member to hear that there is going to be perhaps a greater emphasis and 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 view on that world um and, and with the interest in supporting it um perhaps more so than it has been absolutely and it's really you know a lot of us are coming to think of it as sort of an an intersectional pay equity issue now that that sounds like a lot of jargon and and this is a little bit of um well uh, a difficult comparison, but it's like if we understand that a huge amount of wealth in this country in the early days of this country existed from the free labor of slaves and the injustice of that, um, you know, it's not an entirely accurate or fair comparison, but to understand the intersection between sexism, caring for children is women's work, and racism, that it has become really dominated by women of color, um, we start to understand how there has been value unlocked based on paying people poorly. Um, and to look at that it, it, with, you know, a willingness to say, okay, you know, what if we truly valued um, women's work and, and we looked at the value of the work and, and this work in particular, caring for children in some way so that we understand the value that it unlocks for those of us who are not wired to care for our children all day at home. Uh, uh, the fact that it children are kind of wired to be collectively cared for, they benefit often from positive peer pressure, to understand that infant and toddler teachers are building brains, and that is literally the most important time for brain development, is when babies are babies, and you know, year one in a way is more important than year two, which is more important than year three, but they're all incredibly important. We start to understand the enormity of the task. I mean, it's really a big thing if we were to think about what is the real value of early childhood work. But the fact is this pandemic has made people more and more willing to sort of face some of those things and to say, we can't take this for granted anymore. And that is enormously encouraging. Wonderfully said. And I'm very excited to hear that that sort of discussion is taking place. Um, you know, uh, again, this is a only have a few more minutes left, but what are, what's another area that you'd like for us to make sure to cover um, before our time ends uh, this episode? Well, it's all sort of related, of course, because it's the same system, but I think it's got to be the workforce because, you know, even if we talk about all of the listening that our organization and our partners um, have done throughout local communities for the past really three years in a row, um, or if you're talking about home-based care or just the needs of essential workers, nurses, and, and grocery store employees, that sort of thing, it always comes back to the workforce and how do we, um, and 
pay is a big one. And of course, I just was talking about pay equity, but how do we really uh, pay people in early childhood for the value, um, the risk they may be taking in, as if we're talking about it in a pandemic? But also, how do we provide support? And this is where, again, you know, I think Paso Apaso and Taos have been great statewide leaders around reflective practice um, and how, because it's truly hard and like secondary trauma is very, very real. And if you think about just the emotional weight that, that workers have um, taken on in the early childhood sector, it's not just about pay and benefits, which, you know, can be a part of compensation. Do they have health care? Do they have paid time off, vacation time, sick leave, all of these things? Um, and those are all building blocks that need to be considered as we support the early childhood workforce. And we need to get to what what support do they need? Do they have a chance to reflect? Do they have a chance to plan? Do they have a chance to mentor and have communities of practice for mutual support? Because all of the business end of what happens in society gets reflected through young children in what they bring into their education and care settings. And the people, the adults in the room, the caregivers have to take on all of that. So I'm really hoping that we can continue to push the conversation about the workforce to be, you know, all those things, better pay, better benefits, but also really supportive working conditions, because that is how we will really do well and get the benefits of investments in early childhood. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just sitting with that because I'm excited and, um, it's really refreshing, you know, um, not to say that these sorts of conversations haven't happened before because, you know, we've uh, humans have been around for a long time, but it's very exciting that uh, this can perhaps be a positive outcome of this stressful time for our state and, and nation and, and individually. Um, and I just really appreciate um, you being willing to have and further those conversations on the state level. Um, and also, again, just engage with us on a regional level in, in multiple ways. And um, I'm just so excited to, to catch up with you um, perhaps a few months from now, if you're, if you're able to just see how so many things are going and, and please always let us know what we can do to support up here. Oh, we will. And I think it really is going to take all of us because we do need a sort of critical mass of will to basically keep the momentum going in order to do these hard things like recognizing what the early childhood workforce needs and, and pushing for um, real change and, and some structural adjustments that are, are really uh, past due. But we, ha we do have an opportunity right now. It's the old adage about, you know, don't waste the crisis. Or, or crisis and opportunity being very connected concepts in, I think, Chinese wisdom or something. Um, and it's it's going to take a real collective effort, but it is so worth it. And honestly, I believe that this is sort of how we save the world is by working to do our absolute best for our youngest children and their families. So um, it's, it's superhero activity, but everybody um, who steps up, I think can really make a difference. Well, Kate Noble, thank you so much for joining us again and, and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. All right. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs>